Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So pleased to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got something very exciting to show you. It is nature at work. If you'll take a look over here at this display, it is a giant wooden frame housing two panes of glass, but in between this glass is wherein lies the extraordinary wonderment. As you'll see, the glass is mostly filled with sand, and in that sand you'll see ants scurrying to and fro, tunneling here and there, and if you look even closer, you might find that these ants are doing more than just tunneling. They're building civilization. And if you look even closer, you might even see the development of technology. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Marvel film, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So the Ant-Man movies are a series of movies, now three feature films featuring Ant-Man. Uh, of course, he's shown up in various other Marvel projects, Captain America Civil War, the Avengers stuff with the uh, Endgame and the, the things with Thanos. But the three Ant-Man movies that we've had out so far is a series of movies that I've enjoyed more and more with each new movie. Now, the first Ant-Man, eh, it was okay. I didn't mind it. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. Uh, the second Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I really enjoyed that one. That was a, a fun movie, and I, Paul Rudd with, was, I think, in his prime in that, uh, just uh, as far as Ant-Man goes, the character goes. Uh, so I was really excited for Quantum Mania because I was excited to see if this trend was going to continue and this movie was going to even be better than the last two. And we'll kind of save my my thoughts on that for the end but I will say uh, I did enjoy this movie this was an enjoyable movie and really excited that this movie Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania kicks off phase five of Marvel and really this movie does exactly that I mean if you talk about all the things we're getting into uh, later down the road in phase five with uh, the Avengers Kang Dynasty uh, Avengers Secret War this movie is the launching off point for all of that and everything to come uh, between here and there in, in phase five of Marvel and one of the things I really liked about this movie is that the premise was quite simple and they jumped into it right away i mean you had a little bit of fun at the beginning where you had uh the scott lang character played by paul rudd walking down the street with this monologue and his facial expressions kind of matching what he's saying in the monologue is quite funny I think it's meant to be him reading from the book that we find out later in this opening scene but uh, <laughs> Some of the some of the gags with everybody noticing him now that he's an Avenger and he's taken to writing a book about looking out for the little guy because the Scott Lang character's been kind of an underdog and kind of an under maybe underappreciated Avenger so far, uh, you know. 
everyone's always the better Avenger uh, when it comes to Ant-Man. And, and we even get a, a scene with that at the beginning where he goes to get coffee and uh, the the owner of the shop is giving him free coffee. And as he walks out the door, uh, the guy says, uh, uh, thank you, Spider-Man, or see a Spider-Man. And, and he just kind of looks like, Okay, yeah, he thinks I'm Spider-Man. But we get this great opening where he's had this success and this notoriety from being an Avenger and saving the world against Thanos and the Snap. Uh, but he hasn't done much with his life since then. All he's done is written this book and is kind of riding the coattails of his own brief glimpse of fame. And then, of course, through, well... Through science, <laughs> he gets sucked into the quantum realm along with Hope Van Dyne, Janet Van Dyne, Hank Pym, and Scott Lang's daughter, Cassie. And that's where they run into Kang, the Conqueror, and they get involved with all these quantum realm denizens. And that really is kind of the the crux of this story. Like I said, it's a, it's a very simple premise. They're stuck in the quantum realm. Kang is in there. Kang wants out. He needs them to get out and they want to stop him from getting out. So I'm going to throw this out here right now. From here on out, we are going to have a lot of spoilers uh, because I can't talk about this movie, as I've said before, without really talking about it. And I want to talk about the characters. I want to talk about what they're doing. And I'm not going to hold back. So if you haven't watched Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I encourage you to go check it out. It's in theaters now. It's probably going to be on Disney Plus in the not-too-distant future uh, with all the other Marvel stuff. But, uh, but I encourage you to watch it first. Go check it out in the movie theater. It's a really good movie, and I think you're going to enjoy it. If you haven't watched it, go do that. Come back and listen to the podcast. Uh, if you have watched it, uh, you know, feel free to to stick around, and we're going to talk some Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. And if you don't know, as if you really care if you want to watch it, maybe maybe I'll change your mind. You'll have things spoiled for you. But you may change your mind and think, uh, you know, this guy may be onto something. I probably should watch this. But at any rate, from here on out, we are going to have some spoilers. So we're going to talk about this movie kind of how we usually do. I'm going to talk about the characters first and foremost and, and their place in the story and some of the things that we get uh, with these characters and the actors that portray them. And right off the bat, you have to start with the star of the show, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Ant-Man. And I really liked... Uh, I, I like the Ant-Man character. Uh, I like Scott Lang. And I like, probably I like it because of Paul Rudd. I'm a huge Paul Rudd fan. Who, who isn't? I mean, Paul Rudd's just, uh, you know, he's got that those great leading man looks, but he's got a real great sense of humor about him and, and, and kind of a humility that just shows through in his, like, every man persona that he has. He just, he comes across as a good guy and a, a decent guy and a cool guy to hang out with, go have a beer with, and, and be around. And, and listen to him cracking jokes and, and being sarcastic. I mean, Paul Rudd exudes that, and that really spills into the Scott Lang character, which makes the character so likable. But he plays Ant-Man, who is a, a superhero that essentially grows small, you know, the diminutive size, and in that tends to be overlooked as one of the more important Avengers, you know, the Iron Mans, the Thors, the Captain Americas, the Spider-Mans, uh, the Hulks, they all get all the big press, but, you know, a superhero like Ant-Man 
always kind of feels lost in the shuffle. And and I think that's kind of how the Scott Lang character feels. And, and that's why he writes this book, Look Out for the Little God, because uh, not just a play off the size of his character when he's shrunk down, but, but the fact that, you know, he probably feels quite overlooked. And, you know, like I said, earlier in this movie, we see that he's mistaken for uh, another insect superhero, uh, Spider-Man. So you have that, you have that kind of sense that that he may be feeling a little self-conscious about the fact that he's not one of the big adventures. He's not the real hero they are. He was just kind of tagging along for the ride. So you kind of have that uh playing out in his character. And then you also have the relationship between him and his daughter, Cassie. He has been sort of an absentee father for a long time when he was in jail uh, earlier in his life, uh, when he was gone during the blip. Now, he wasn't blipped. If I'm not mistaken, he was to the quantum realm after the events of Ant-Man 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp. But he just hasn't been there for his daughter. And his daughter is, is growing up and she's growing older and she's becoming her own person. And he feel like he feels like she's kind of going down the wrong path. Uh, the first scene we get with her, she's in jail because she was helping, you know, the, the police were rounding up homeless protesters and she wants to help the homeless and ended up shrinking one of their cop cars and getting hauled off and jail which kind of is a is a fun bookend to what she does later in the movie which we'll talk about that but we find her getting in trouble and scott's feeling like hey you know what i haven't been there as a dad to teach her that she shouldn't be getting in trouble she shouldn't be doing these sorts of things when in all actuality she has a lot of her father in her uh, you know he's a bit of a troublemaker he is you know he spent some time in the who's scow he's been the type of character that is not afraid to uh, to push the limits and maybe get into a little trouble along the way and and she is just like like him and and they come to realize this later in the movie i think but seeing that relationship between these two was uh was really fun and gave the movie uh, a lot of heart I, I wish they could have focused on it a little more because i i think it got lost in some of the action but they had enough in it that you really do get this sense and you really do get this father-daughter connection which was really fun to watch especially in the end when <laughs> they're both giants and hugging it out <laughs> And Scott Lang, uh, Paul Rudd, uh, saying that he feels like he's hugging Godzilla. It <laughs> just... Uh, one of the one of the funny moments in the movie. Now, another one of these characters that we get, and I, I already kind of covered Cassie Lang. I really enjoyed Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang. She's fun. She's effervescent. She's she's got that youthful exuberance that uh, you know it, it really pops on the screen, and she's really enjoyable. Like I said, she really feels like a female version of Scott Lang, and in in so much that you know she's. She's got uh, a quick wit, and she's also not afraid to get in trouble for doing the right thing. So I really enjoy her. It's going to be fun to see her because I got to imagine she's going to be uh, a part of the Young Avengers that they are are, are putting together with a, a lot of Phase 4 introduced, a lot of the Young Avengers character. And she is going to be, I think, a part of that as a Stinger character. So it's going to be interesting to watch uh, her develop this character in, in projects to come for Marvel. But uh, another character I wanted 
to talk about real quick is the Hope Van Dyne character, uh, Wasp, played by Evangeline Lilly. I, I really felt bad. I mean, she was a, a big part of this movie and, and very much a part of the action, but uh, the character really kind of felt along for the ride in this movie because we really didn't uh, get too much interaction with her or and Scott Lang. There was There's one moment they had at the end. Uh, she just kind of felt... Like uh, she's in the back seat with with her mom and dad uh, driving driving the vehicle, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about those characters a little later. But as always, Evangeline Lilly does uh, a great job, especially with the Wasp character. They gave her the short haircut, which is a little more true to the Wasp character in the comic books. And and like I said, I really wish they could have focused a little more on her uh, because she didn't really feel like she. Had had any bits of dialogue or, or any moments in the movie that really kind of propelled her character for her, forward or, or gave us any new insight as to her character. And, and granted, there's a, a lot going on with, with the two other uh, characters that we're going to talk about coming up. Uh, so, so I get why they didn't focus a whole lot on Hope Van Dyne. Uh, but, uh, like I said, she's a big part of the movie. It just, it felt like she was kind of lost in the shuffle because the, the folks that played her parents really got uh, a lot to do in this, especially Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne. She plays, uh, Hope's mother and she was lost in the quantum realm for 30 years. We get some flashbacks about how she was in the quantum realm and was actually there when Kang kind of crash landed into the quantum realm which we'll, we'll talk about why he was there in the first place but she saved his life and then realized what he was all about and once they get into the quantum realm uh, Janet Van Dyne is the is the go-to because she's been there she spent 30 years in the quantum realm she knows her way around and we, we find out the quantum realm isn't this desolate place it's actually got a thriving life there thriving community and culture there and and she kind of guides our characters through this movie and of course michelle pfeiffer is an incomparable actress and does a really good job with this character i was glad that we really got to see her and like i said well we didn't get to see a lot of evangeline lily i mean we saw her a lot but we didn't get really much with her character on the flip side of that coin janet van dyne played by michelle pfeiffer we really got to see her on full display in this movie and as well, we got to see Michael Douglas playing Hank Pym. Uh, we got to see a, a lot with him being Janet Van Dyne's husband and their interaction and relationship as it's displayed through her showing them around the quantum realm. He gets to really see uh, what she was doing and what she was like and who she was interacting with uh, for those 30 years that she was gone. And there's a really interesting scene with a, a, a fun cameo uh, later. We'll, we'll talk about that, but uh, I do want to mention a, a couple more main characters, uh, the two main villains in this. But first I want to mention uh, some of just briefly, some of the characters we meet along the way. Uh, they meet some of the denizens of the quantum realm. Uh, Veb, which is like this kind of weird uh, jelly like character that is constantly, fascinated by uh, humans and how many holes they have and, and there's a fun scene at the end where he finally gets a hole and realize they realize they can, he can like consume people through these it's weird and he 
kind of uh, oozes this this liquid, this slime that if you drink it, then all of a sudden, because they had this scene when uh, they first come to the quantum realm, nobody can understand what the what the inhabitants of the quantum realm are saying until they drink this ooze that comes from Veb, and then all of a sudden they can start hearing, uh, understanding what the people are saying. It's a you know, it's a little plot device to just make it so you know we're not having to read subtitles with these these quantum realm inhabitants uh, speaking their native language all the time uh it could, could it be a little hokey I, I don't mind it's comic books come on but there's another uh, freedom fighter gentora uh who we see played by uh caddy o'brien quaz by william jackson harper he's a telepath which has he has some fun moments in that especially in the beginning because he can read minds and, and generally speaking, uh, everybody's mind that he reads is thinking things that probably should not be thought. And we get to meet some other characters that are a part of this, uh, like I said, these freedom fighters. Because what we find out is when Janet Van Dyne rescues Kang after he crash lands in the quantum realm, she finds out exactly why he's there and why he crash landed. He was exiled. And we'll, like I said, talk a little more about that when we talk about Kang. But she ends up trapping him there. And he's called Kang the Conqueror for a reason. And we find out the reason is because he conquered the quantum realm. And all of these people, these inhabitants, he has either destroyed their home or he subjugated them. And he is building an army to eventually escape the quantum realm. And all of these, all these denizens of the quantum realm are, you know, they're, they're trying to fight back, but they're just not organized. And our heroes eh, give them a little help in that regard. But they all play a big, you know, none of the characters are really that important in the story, but they do give the the inhabitants of the quantum realm a face and, and a reason why we should care about what's going on, why Kang is, you know, subjugating these people and and the effect that his cruelty can have on them. And, and I think they do a really good job. The actors all did a fine job. The characters, like I said, aren't major, aren't terribly important other than being the face of the quantum realm now our two main villains in this the first one we'll talk about really kind of played more for a comic relief uh we have Corey stoll who played darren cross in the first ant-man and he is back of course in ant-man he was kind of exiled to the quantum realm himself by ant-man and we see him come back he was shrunk down uh his body is shrunk but his head's big and he becomes modok which is uh, a huge villain in the marvel comics not a villain i ever really cared for just because he looks so ridiculous. Uh, you can't see Modoc and not laugh because this big giant head and these tiny baby arms and legs and he flies around and it's 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 kind of a ridiculous character that it barely works in the comics. I wasn't sure how it was gonna work in this this live action movie, but it actually it kind of worked. The CG and the, the effects for the body and, and the device that MODOK is in work. The the enlarged face, uh, it's enlarged with CG. 
sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes it really felt like just a superimposed CG face on something. Other times, especially towards the end, when we get that last scene with MODOK, uh, we get uh, probably some of the better CG work with MODOK in that scene. But like I said, he was mostly played for, for comedy. And this character really kind of... Uh, lend itself to the the typical Marvel villain that is just as quick-witted with the snarky quips as the other Marvel characters. And, and it can get a little old at times. I like my villains to have menace and to have uh, a bit of that fear factor. I want to be afraid of what's going to happen should this villain win. They had it with Thanos. Uh, they had it with the Gore the God Butcher. Christian Bale just played that that character with such coldness and such menace. It was fantastic. And and I think you get that with the Kang character, which we'll talk about here uh, briefly. But you, you got, uh, like I said, a lot of comedy with MODOK. And, and even towards the end, they had... Uh, a scene that I felt was ridiculous. I, I, I really didn't like the scene at all when Cassie is talking with Modoc and calling him a dick and saying there's always time to, to stop being a dick. And it, it touched a chord with Modoc and all of a sudden he becomes a good guy who helps defeat Kang. It's it just like I said, the whole uh, stop being a dick, it, it seemed a bit silly. And one, probably one of the only really silly moments in the movie that I didn't care for. It was a joke that just didn't feel like it landed. But all in all, I, I thought the Modoc character, it, it worked better than I thought it was going to work because I didn't think a live action version of this was going to work anywhere. And it it kind of did. I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. And then that final scene when he's dying and uh, everyone's gathered around him. And after he's turned face and is helping out Scott and the, the gang, when he has that line where he says, at least I got to die as an Avenger. And everybody's just kind of looking at each other like, what the hell is he talking about? And then saying how uh, Scott was always a brother to him and, and touching his face with his little hands. That was probably where the comedy worked best with the Modoc character. And I've always enjoyed Corey Stoll as, a, as an actor. And I thought, he, you know, he played Darren Crosswell in the first Ant-Man. Uh, I really enjoyed him as Modoc in this one, which, like I said, I didn't think I would like this character, but uh, but ended up... I, I think it worked better than I thought it would. And I think Corey Stoll's performance really helped with that. And last but not least, the final character we are going to talk about is Kang the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors. Now, we already got a little taste of Jonathan Majors as Kang, uh, the one who remains at uh, with Loki, the Loki series on Disney+. Plus. He played the He Who Remains version of Kang in that. And then we get to see at the very end maybe a different uh, version of Kang has, has resurfaced at, at the end of Loki, which we'll find out. Loki Season 2 should be coming up sometime within the next few months, I, I'm, I'm assuming. I, I can't remember exactly when the release date is for that, but we do know it's coming up soon because of something else we saw at the end of this. But Jonathan Majors as Kang was just fantastic. He is probably making Kang one of my favorite Marvel villains. I mean, Kang's always been a big villain in the Marvel comics, but a live action version of him 
you know, it, it could look ridiculous because Kang in the in the comics looks a little ridiculous. He's wearing this like uh, purple jumper with the green tunic, and it's all bright and very colorful. And he's got the 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 blue face and, and all this. And it could come across as really dick ridiculous, but Jonathan Majors gives this character such menace. And but in the same token, he can give you such empathy and, and make you almost feel sorry for this character. Almost make you feel like you understand why this character is the way they are and, and why this character is doing the things they're doing. And almost makes you feel a little sympathy for the character. But then he turns around and does... Kang like things and and then you're like oh shit I, I shouldn't feel sorry for him at all he is a bad guy and is going to do very bad things if given the opportunity if he escapes the quantum realm and and I owe that all to Jonathan Majors because uh, like I said he just does an impeccable job I mean he was really good with the he who remains character during Loki. I really like that. There again, he really played, that character is a little more benign. That character, uh, while it had some ill intent, uh, you really felt empathy for that, but you really didn't, you didn't get the fear. I mean, you, you knew he had to be stopped, but you didn't get that fear that you get with this version of Kang. And I think that's really where Jonathan Majors is going to shine when we get into uh, the Council of Kang and the Kang Dynasty, Avengers Kang Dynasty down the road. And then when we get to the Avengers Secret War, I think you're really going to see Jonathan Majors shine because I really think he is going to be be able to pull off uh, with great success all these different versions of Kang and make them feel like their own characters because he's such a, a fantastic actor. But I've already really kind of talked about his place in this because he was exiled to the quantum realm by the uh, Council of Kangs and he was one of the th rulers of the Council of Kangs. He with Rama Tut, uh, Mortis, and the Scarlet Centurion uh, until those those three characters exiled him to the quantum realm because uh, they didn't agree with the things he wanted to do. And, and that is conquest. And that is all the ill intent he has. I love the moment when Kang first meets Scott Lang. And Scott Lang's like, uh, uh, you don't want to mess with me. I am an Avenger. And I've all called the other Avengers. And they're, they're on their way. And Kang has this line. He, he goes, are you an Avenger? Have I killed you before? They all blur together after a while. And that delivery that Jonathan Majors gives during that, where it's just cold matter of fact that he has killed other Avengers in other universes in the multiverse. And he's killed so many Avengers that he just kind of lost track. There's also a funny moment where he asks, are you the one with the hammer? And Paul Rudd as Scott Lang goes, uh, uh, Oh, you mean Thor. I, I get confused for him a, a lot. We have the same physique. And, you know, it's uh, Paul Rudd being Paul Rudd and being hilarious. But uh, but this scene, until that moment, just had such, you know, it was kind of one of those scenes that sends a chill down your spine. It's like, you know, the Avengers are the mightiest heroes Earth has. And Kang has, has killed so many of them with 
without a thought or without a care. Uh, it didn't really matter to him because he's done it so many times that he just, like it says, after a while, they all blur together. And there again, Jonathan Major's delivery on those lines really add the menace. They add the cold uncaringness and the, the fact that it's just matter of fact that he's done this and it's not a big deal. Avenger, Avengers don't mean anything to him, which really sets up what is to come with the Council of Kangs and the Kang Dynasty movie and and Secret Wars when we when we finally get to that, how much the Avengers are are up against the wall again. So that's a look at the characters. Uh, there was one other character, a cameo I mentioned earlier that I didn't really talk about, but uh, Bill Murray. <laughs> has a, a bit of a cameo as Lord Kryler, who is actually from the comics, looks much different. Uh, he's more humanoid in this, and the comics he's got like green skin or something like that. Uh, they reveal that he and... Uh, Janet Van Dyne had a relationship when he was in the when she was in the quantum realm for 30 years. I like how the Michael Douglas uh, Hank Pym character gets very jealous and like, well, I had a relationship with uh, Linda. It's almost like uh, that was his version of, uh, I've got a girlfriend, but she lives up in the Niagara Falls area. She's from Canada, uh, sort of situation. But Bill Murray, uh, always fantastic whenever he is in any movie or makes a cameo like he does here. But that's really what you get with this movie. It is uh, these characters, Scott Lang and, and Cassie, get separated from... Uh, Hope and Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym, and they're all making their way through the quantum realm until they get together. And then this plan to to defeat Kang and leading this group of freedom fighters. And there's also a, a fun bit where Hank Pym has these these ants that he's put little little helmets on them and it made them smarter and uh, they get sucked into the quantum realm and they pass through uh, something i can't remember what they say some little again another very convenient plot point a plot device where they advanced thousands of years by just falling through this whatever it is and now these ants are are giant and they've advanced thousands of years and they have technology that they can repair ships and and they join the fight which was was kind of a fun turning point in the movie and in the battle that moment when scott lang and cassie lang use their suits the ant-man and the stinger suit to both grow giant and 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 help fight kang that was that was a fun scene and then that moment at the end where uh, Janet Van Dyne finally opens a portal for them to get back into the, the real world from the quantum realm. Everybody gets through except for Scott and he's attacked by Kang. And you get this fight between Scott and Kang. And it, it really played into the uh, the things I was talking about earlier where Scott, you know, he's always been kind of like the lesser Avenger. And, and Kang plays into that, into his dialogue that, you know, he's not thing and he he is beating the crap out of scott lang but but scott finds a way to to defeat him and we see kang get sucked into the probability storm that powers his chariot that allows him to uh travel the multiverse and he's gone and we we think for good but i've got some some ideas about that and I'm not the only one that has thought these thoughts, so we'll we'll talk about that kind of a little bit. But uh, but Scott finally gets through the um, gets through the portal, and everybody is safe at home from the quantum realm. And uh, honestly, this I think was a really fun movie. Um, 
And a great jumping off point for Phase 5 of Marvel as we get into this this Kang storyline as we, you know, I think uh, the last couple movies of Phase 5 is going to be Avengers Kang Dynasty and then Avengers Secret Wars. They're the last two. I'm not sure exactly how far apart those two movies are going to be, but it's all, this is a buildup. This is like the Infinity Saga, where this everything from here on out is a buildup to this big battle in Kang Dynasty. And then ultimately, as we move on to uh, Secret Wars. So I'm excited about it. I really love this movie. I thought the the look of the movie was fantastic in this CG world of the quantum realm. Everything was amazing and interesting to look at. And little little things here and there that you notice that, that maybe are, are things maybe not quite in focus, but just adds depth and and a personality to the quantum realm in and of itself. And, and all of the creatures that we find there are interesting. Uh, whether they were a creature that was put up front and center with a with a good actor or actress or not. They, they had just very weird uh, looks to them. I thought the, the design on all the creatures were good. I thought this CG was pretty good. Marvel gets a lot of shit for their CG, especially as of late uh, with She-Hulk and Thor, uh, Love and Thunder. But I, I thought the CG in this was pretty good. And not just the CG, you know, because this is essentially a CG world that we're in for the most part. But but there's other elements of CG on the characters and, and whatnot that I thought uh, they did a really good job with. The sets, any practical sets they did were really good. The costuming I thought was fantastic. I really loved Kang's costume because it took that traditional look with the with the purple and the green, but they made it darker. So it didn't, you know, once you look at it really closer in the right light, you see the purple and green, but other than that, it all kind of not blends together, but it's, it's hard to distinguish uh, certain colors. It just all looks darker until, like I said, you're getting in the right look of the right light. And then you see it is that traditional look of, of Kang the Conqueror from the comic book. So I really dug that. I liked the use of humor in this for the most part. Uh, this had funny moments. Uh, you can't have Paul Rudd in a movie and not have some funny moments, which I, which I really enjoyed. But it just wasn't over-the-top humor that we've been getting a lot of lately. Especially, I think it all really kind of culminated with Thor Love and Thunder. Which is a movie, I, I still enjoyed it. But as I look back on it, I see the holes. I, I gave it a pretty glowing review. But the more I've watched it, I've watched it a couple times since then. And the more I think about it, there are some things I wish... I really wish they would have toned down the the almost hokey comedy of it. I really wish they would have made Thor not a jokester buffoon. And I, I really wish they would have taken the character a little more serious. Uh, they took what they did in Thor Ragnarok, which is given a, a cool 80s fantasy vibe. It was very uh, electric and neon and, and just badass heavy metal. And and they really brought a fun sense uh, to Thor, which Thor hadn't had in the first two movies. And they took that, which Taika Waititi did very well in Thor Ragnarok, and they just amplified that by 10 in Thor Love and Thunder, and they ju it just really, everything needed dialed back some. Uh, it was just too over the top, too much humor, too much ridiculous. Thor was too silly, and, and I think 
Marvel kind of got into that mode there for a little while. And this, I think they did a good job of backing off on the ridiculous slapsticky jokey setup humor and they let some of the humor just be in the delivery of guys like Paul Rudd Corey Stoll some of his delivery was was funny but uh and kind of jokey but just his delivery made it funny uh, like I said there there was the one forced joke with the the don't be a dick uh thing I, I didn't care for that but for the most part the humor worked in this because it was a little more subtle, less in your face. And they just let the fun of a a cool comic book movie in a cool setting like the quantum realm with a cool hero like Ant-Man who, uh, you know, maybe is underappreciated, but he's shown his stuff. He's proven his mettle. He's proven that he is a a hero uh, of great power as well. And they'd let a fantastic villain like Jonathan Majors as Kang take center stage. And, and that's why this movie, uh, I liked it. Now, could it have been better? Yeah. You know, there's very few movies at all, let alone superhero movies or Marvel movies that are perfect. But I thought this was a really good movie and a really good start to phase five of the MCU. So I really enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Hopefully you did too. Uh, The only thing I can say I was truly disappointed in is that in the trailer for this, they kept playing... Uh, Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And I didn't hear that damn song once during this movie. And that's one of my favorite Elton John songs. Like top three, you know, it's uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding, and maybe Rocket Man. I'm not quite sure. The third spot is, but top two, at least Goodbye Yellow Brick Road uh, for me. And it wasn't in the movie. I'm like, what? They didn't play the song? Uh, So I was a little disappointed in that. But if that's all I really had to be disappointed in with this movie, then that's that's not so bad. But I liked a lot of the things they did in this movie because it really it it played a lot into uh, some themes. There wasn't any overarching themes or big in your face themes, but I did like like the parallel of Cassie getting arrested for helping homeless people in our world and Scott being like, Oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't be getting into trouble. And then at the end, they actually, he's helping her rescue homeless people in the quantum realm, which I I thought was fun. And and they kind of played into that. I love the relationship between Scott and Cassie Lang and, and that father daughter relationship that they kind of uh, worked out and and worked on through this. It was fun. And like I said, gave the movie a, a lot of heart, the moment between Scott and hope at the end where they professed their love after this big battle it was sweet and i really enjoyed that and then we got a couple ps scenes a mid-credit scene and a ps scene which the mid-credit scene really sets up where we're going to go from here in the mcu because we see that council of the kangs with the the three rulers of that immortus uh ramatat and scarlet centurion we see that they are now going to start cutting off 
branches of the timelines, the the multiverse that are, are a danger. And we're essentially setting up where we're going to go from here as far as the the big bad in the Kang dynasty. These This council of the Kangs, I assume, is going to be the Kang dynasty. And I love the scene where it shows like this coliseum full of these different variants of the Kangs. And they're all kind of hooting and hollering. And, and that scene was plucked right from the pages of the comics. Uh, you can find that online, that those comics had a scene just like that with all the Kang variants, which was kind of cool to see that. And and then we had a PS scene, a, a post-credit scene, that showed Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson as Loki and Mobius from the Loki series. Uh, they have gone back in time and are seeing the Victor Timely version of Kang back in, what, it's probably like, like the late 1800s, turn of the century, early 1900s, not really quite sure about the year on that, uh, but we see where this is going to continue in Loki Season 2, uh, which should be coming out sometime in the middle of 2023. So honestly, really excited about what's to come, and I really enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Uh, I thought the director, Peyton Reed, did a fantastic job. Uh, Jeff Loveness, a uh, fantastic job writing this screenplay. Uh, really enjoyed this movie, and like I said, a really good launching off point for this Phase 5 of Marvel and where we're going to go uh, leading up to uh, Kang Dynasty and uh, Secret Wars. So, And I'm not even 100% sure we've seen the last of this version of Kang. Of course, uh, Kang the Conqueror was sucked into that uh, probability storm that, that, like I said, powered his, his vehicle that could allow him to travel the multiverse. But he's not dead. You're not dead until you see a body. I mean, that's just the basic rule of filmmaking. So... I believe he's going to be back. I think, and, and I've seen some other people talk about this, I think he's going to be gone until the uh, Kang Dynasty movies, Avengers Kang Dynasty, and then I think maybe he comes back for that, or maybe we see him in Secret Wars. I don't think we've seen the last of Kang the Conqueror, because uh, Kang Dynasty, we're going to see the Council of Kang be the big bad guy, but you need somebody for Secret Wars, and, and Kang's involved with that. So I, I really think we've not seen the last of Kang the Conqueror that is the iconic uh, version of Kang I believe and that's that's the one yeah you know, that they've really set up with this first movie so like I said I don't think we've seen the last of him and and that even said at the very end of the movie Kang will return now that could be the Kangs but they used singular uh, they didn't say Kang the Conqueror but uh, but I believe uh, Marvel doesn't do anything without a very particular reason for it. So uh, I think that little line there at the end of the movie said a lot. Really excited about all that's to come. Hopefully, uh, if you got a chance to see Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, uh, you enjoyed it as much as I do. If you haven't uh, watched it, go check it out. I, I think you're going to enjoy this one, uh, if, especially if you're a Marvel fan. I think this is going to be uh, definitely one you want to check out. It's got all the fun comic book feel that, that you want in a live-action comic book movie, uh, and I, I really enjoyed that. So I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Go check it out if you haven't, and you can find out more what's going on with the horror, fantasy, and science fiction on our Facebook page with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, always posting the latest trailers to movies and series out, as well as sharing articles I find all over the internet about the genres we love and adding my two cents 
comments as well. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. And don't forget to follow, subscribe, like the podcast, share the episodes with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!